You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 47, Dream Theater, Made in Japan, and coming to you from the Jepsons Malort suburbs of Chicago. I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm John Dayquil Matola. <laughs> okay, for once, it's a pretty easy one to decipher for you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to hide it. I haven't been, I've been sick. It's that time of year. Yep, it got me. So the so the act the true co-host. Well, we have a third co-host actually, which would be the cough button on your end. Yep. So doing some work. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've been so because my nickname uh, kind of implies or flat out says I've been uh, taking a lot of Dayquil. So hopped up on some the quill. <laughs> Took some before this episode, not NyQuil, otherwise I'd fall asleep through halfway through the episode. <laughs> that would not be so good for the show energy level. John NyQuil, then you would be uh, hosting by yourself halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so doing all right, but I got all my trusty tissues and everything on hand just in case. So All right, good. We'll see what good, happens. Good. So... Since you asked, Jepson's Malort. It's a it's a it's a liqueur that is popular, well, sort of popular in this area, uh, for being just. It's one of those kind of like, I don't know what you'd say. Uh, it's kind of a conversation starter or a dare sort mm-hmm. of thing. It's it's extraordinarily disgusting. And it's one of those things where people, you know, if people are in the area, you make them do a shot of it or whatever. And um, it, it's something that I don't even know how to describe it other than that. But I'm going to I haven't had any in a really long time. So I'm going to I'm going to open this thing do a little start off the show. Right. I'm going to say that's why it looks like it's like 75 percent full if it's not Ooh. that good. Yeah, it's just one of those things every so often you got somebody from out of town visiting. Oh, you've never had Jepsum's Malort? You got to try some. Um, the back of Here, it. We're not, we weren't good friends anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it says, has the aroma and full bodied flavor of an unusual botanical. Its bitter taste is savored by two fisted drinkers. So. Hmm. Well, you know, a botanical liqueur is. Um... Uh, kind of an acquired taste. You either gonna like it or hate it. I like botanicals, but um, uh, but this is a, a friend of mine was saying he was at he was at a bar downtown and it came up that like you know something about Jepsum's Lore and he 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 the the bartender brought it out and they did some shots or whatever and he's like they said does anybody ever come in and actually order that like seriously he's like no it never happens and <laughs> two minutes later this guy walks in and said give me a shot of Jepson's Malort like by himself like a, a lone guy <laughs> but I'm gonna in in honor of today's episode I'm gonna do this little shot of it let's see you know it's very yeah it's very bitter. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's um, so why why that today why why that uh, just because i already covered deep dish pizza i covered chicago style hot dogs mm. i i was think i was actually um I, I was in a liquor store the other day and I, I caught my eye and I said, oh, you know, I don't think I've ever mentioned that on the show. Mm. Yeah, it is. So ooh, it needs it requires a chaser. It's very a nice about three glasses of water, maybe. I thought you said something about the Jetsons. That's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? Jetsons it's actually by more. Carl Jepson. Meet Carl Jepson. <laughs> uh so um, I, I actually, when you were, I thought that maybe that was one of those things like, um, you know, hey, you got a cold like here, take a shot of whiskey or something, you know, that type of thing. I love to have like a little whiskey or brandy or something when I have a cold, but I don't think mm. this, I think this would just make you feel upset because it's very, <laughs> it's very bitter. Like it doesn't, I'm, uh, I don't know, desensitized to a lot of things like that. So the bitterness doesn't really bother me, but it's definitely not for everyone. Well, I don't think it's a regional thing, but at least around here, like what that makes me think of when you were talking about, you know, uh, doing a shot of something terrible is is like um, um, that um, that like peppermint flavored schnapps. Um, was it like uh, rumble mints? Oh, rumble mints, <laughs> which is it's just a thing with like one of my one of my friends is like been buying it for years and every time i go over he like comes out with the shot glasses and i'm like if we're gonna go out i'm like no and it's like it's almost like this tradition of like torturing me and himself for some reason <laughs> yeah i don't you know, know. It's, like, it's tradition yeah to be miserable it's like we're not in our 20s anymore buy something good for crying out loud i don't know <laughs> i don't know if i've ever had rumple mints no, like jaeger has kind of got a similar uh yeah reputation there's yeah, another one uh, 99 bananas is another one too. Oh God, like, 99 bananas. Oh my God. I think there's like, I don't know. Somebody might've given me a bottle of it like 10 years ago when I still, it's not even, it's, it's still full basically. I won't touch it. Yeah. That's, um, you know, I, I've never, I've, I think you'd have to have a lot more than 99 bananas to come across one that tastes like that. Hmm. So anyway, we got a big show ahead of you today. So if you want to keep updated on the show, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. If you're subscribing in YouTube, I apologize. You've missed the last two episodes because they have been banned by YouTube. Banned by YouTube. Because we played, you know, we had our Smoke in the Water episode where we played like 400 versions of Smoke on the Water and the Pat Boone one did us in. Despite the fact that you can, of course, find dozens of uploads of the Pat Boone version of smoke on the it's water true. uploaded on YouTube. Every, every time it happens, every single time we get banned, you'll send me like screenshots of like full albums that are uploaded without <laughs> talking over it that are yeah. have allowed to be on YouTube for like 10 friggin' years. And they, I think won't that's let us part of on. the problem is that it kind of almost got grandfathered in. Maybe the algorithms weren't there. And you know, Maybe. if, if anyone complained about them from the record label that they're on, I'm sure they'd remove them, but the record label probably doesn't care. Cause who's going to well, sit there and what, like li- even, even without voices talking over it, who's going to sit there and like be like, I don't need to buy this album. I'll just listen to it on YouTube. I mean, maybe for like a quick fix or if you needed to look something up, but if you really like the album, you're going to buy it. Yeah. And I mean, uh, and you're certainly not going to listen to it with us talking over it at a higher volume. (laughs) 
Well, that's a special, special kind of fan that likes to hear an album that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's like, people out there that might do it as a, but it's also, you're, you're talking about, A, it's a video format, and B, yeah. the quality is quite poor compared to, yeah. like, if you were getting this, even, like, a halfway decent MP3 is going to be leagues better. I mean, if anything, like you always say, it's just like these these types of fan podcasts are like the best advertisement for some of these albums, which are like some of them that we do are like obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they just like generate good business. But I mean, I guess that's I can't tell you how many contacts I get on Twitter, email and everything. People will be like, oh, my God, I never heard that album before or I hadn't heard it in forever. I'm going to go pick up a copy of it or I'm going to buy it. Um, You know, like. You know, I'm not saying like we're like some sort of like martyrs or something for doing this, <laughs> but uh, but, you know, but so many cool, people contact us. That, like, I'd never heard that before. I've heard of it and I didn't really know about it. So now I'm going to go out and buy the album um, again. It's not mm-hmm. our copyrighted material, so people can do whatever they want. But it this definitely as a fan service. This is this is only helping grow people's interest in, yeah. in Deep Purple and the offshoot bands. But I mean, at least in the other, you know, audio platforms, they they don't ban it. So that's good. So, you know, at least we're helping get some of this music out to, you know, a lot of people that way. So that's That's right. They don't ban it, at least not yet. And then um, Mm -hmm. we have uh, the second episode that was banned in a row, unfortunately was the captain, of course, of all things, the captain beyond sufficiently breathless, which Mm. um, again is like an, an obscure album. That's almost 50 years old. And you know, not exactly. It wasn't tearing up the charts then. It certainly isn't doing it now. So any sort of, <laughs> I mean, it's probably to the level that if there's a spike in people buying that album in the next, you know, few weeks or whatever, it's probably directly related to us because who else would be <laughs> hearing about this album and for what reason? So mm-hmm. any sort of, int- I think we can claim a lot of resurgence and interest of that album that's happening at least around this time frame. Um, so yeah, so unfortunately if you're a YouTube listener, you're going to have to delve into the, into the audio feed if you want to get those two episodes. And quite honestly, as we talk about, it's a much better audio experience to listen to on the podcast. Anyway, if you want to help support the show, you can do so by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can also give us a five star rating and review on Apple podcasts that helps new people find the show, or at least that's what I'm told. And, uh, speaking of our patrons, we've got. At the $10 Super Champion tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net, Ryan M. Also at the $10 Super Champion tier. The $5 tier, we've got Clay Wambacher. We've got Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard mortensen and... Oh, that's right. We got a new patron. New patron alert. Mike Knowles coming in at the $5 tier. Thank you so much, Mike. We really appreciate it. Nice. At the $3 tier, we got Peter Gardot, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Anton Glaving. Anton, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. $1 made up tier, we have made up name tier. Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, and The Leaky Mausoleum. I'm saying The Leaky Mausoleum because even grosser. It's just by putting a the in front of it. Yeah, it's even more disgusting. And I also have set up, um, I, I set this up a long <laughs> time ago, but I never mentioned anything about it. But um, we have, I've set up a recurring PayPal link. If you wanted to do a recurring recurring payment through PayPal, like if you're set up on that and it's easier and you don't want to use Patreon, 
we'll put you in we'll put you in the list of the hall of heroes above if you want to do that and then I also set up a one-time donation thing. So if you want to just become like a uh, an executive producer or a producer for an episode and just say, I'm helping support the show for that one episode, you can uh, do that and just do a one-time, give us a one-time donation, $5, 10 $15, whatever, $10, $1, one-time, whatever you want to do. Or if you want to set up your own recurring thing through PayPal and be your own person, be the first person to break free from the patrons, um, you can do that. Start your own rival faction. <clears throat> see if the paypal people can out donate the page patreon i challenge you to do that i challenge both of you um <laughs> and then in patron news from greg Sealby sent me a note which i thought was cool it says love the show i thought i knew a lot about deep purple until i started listening to you guys i don't always agree with your ratings or songs <clears throat> and i'm often yelling at my car stereo in dismay <laughs> but that's the great thing about music we all appreciate different things my favorite album you've covered so far is rising but i have discovered some other awesome music through you so thank you more coverdale tweets please regards greg i come from the lamb down under clb so assuming making a wild assumption that he is australian nice so i love that and i love that you know it's great to hear that people can disagree with what you're saying and still find some enjoyment. Cause I, the, the podcasts that I listen to that are music related, I find great enjoyment in listening to different takes. I love when riot Sabbath, bloody podcasts, like we'll, you know, talk about a Glenn Hughes, you know, Glenn Hughes's uh, play me out or something and, and trash it. I have a, I have a lot of fun listening to that, even though I love the album. And I, I think it's great that we can have di- these wildly different opinions, but still get a lot out of it. That's really important to me because there's so many people out there that will be like, meh, the only, the only good guitar solo is this one, or the best, the best guitar, the best deep purple song is this one. And everyone else is wrong. And that's just gets tiring because it's dumb, you know, open your mind to some new insights. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you, you know, that I agree more than anybody. Like what, one thing that I love about uh, podcasts music podcast the one that i listen to or the the one the ones that i listen to is like hearing not only different takes but sometimes i'll be like yelling at my radio with like a, oh my god my radio my phone i don't have a radio i don't have anything <laughs> could be in your car right you get a radio in your car yeah but uh you know what let's just start over no but um okay but yeah i mean it's a, like i don't hate these people but it's just like if somebody's just like uh kiss podcast i can't remember who but there's like a recurring guest or somebody that's just like hates the rock and roll over album and i'm like are you out of your mind you know and it's just like it's their least favorite and it's like and but i mean most people would think that i'm daffy for like you know thinking like destroyer is like their worst album yeah when it was but i mean you know i can agree that it was iconic and historic importance and all that, but it's the one that I listen to the least out of all of them. And, you know, I have the same with a lot of other bands and um, Deep Purple as well. I mean, you, when you and I disagreed the most on who do we think we are, and that was the one where I thought it would break into fisticuffs and... <laughs> I think it's great, no, but all seriousness, I think yeah, it's great no, it that great. like, you know, we don't love the same thing. Most people probably think I'm insane. If, if you told me, Hey, pick a Mark two album to listen to, I'm going to go with who do we think we are? And most people will be like, are you out of your mind? And that's what, yeah. that's what makes it. That's what makes it great. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. So thanks to our brothers of the Deep Dive Podcast Network, Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast, The Simple Man of Skinner Reconsidered, and Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts. And of course, the patron saint and archivist of the Deep Purple Podcast, Jorg Planer, whose presence and, and, and generous nature is felt on every episode um, with with valuable information and insights and uh, sharing his knowledge and wealth of resources with us, which we really, really appreciate. Um, okay, so we got quite a few comments before we get into the show proper. Uh, we'll go through them really quick. But uh, first off is uh, speaking of people that disagree with me, um, Martin Popoff says had some really kind words to say about us um, in his. Uh, well, actually, he had this episode, uh, History in Five Songs, his show off the deep purple end where he kind of goes off into some deep purple offshoots, which is really cool. Some of which. Uh, maybe most of which we've covered and uh, had some really cool things to say about us on Facebook. Thank you saying, you know, I forgot what he said, uh, but he was very kind saying like, Oh, I hope you enjoy the episode. It's like really, it's like really good coming from you guys. I'm like us, like you're the one who's written how many books on (laughs) deep purple and um, rainbow and every other thing. And, but, but the the area that we, where we disagree is that his, uh, he really hates Ian Gillen band and loves Gillen. And I'm kind of, well, I'm the opposite, except I don't hate Gillen. I just really love Ian Gillen band. Mm. Uh, We got an email from Rupert Axelson. Um, so he sends, uh, he sends us this email and says, Roger Glover's banana bread, something for John sweets, Matola to try and review. <laughs> Could it be better than the butterfly ball? It would be an interesting episode. So I made this banana bread. Did... Yeah. See, I was, I was unable to due to sickness and, you know, general, and general, not wanting life. to. <laughs> Well, I mean, the last thing I want to do is bake when I'm not feeling well, but I, I can review it another day. Well, uh, I've got I've got a, a slice right here. Look at that oh, crumb. Right. Look at that crumb on that uh, banana bread. Does that look great? Beautiful. From here, it looks like a piece of lemon poppy cake, but it's eh, similar enough right? for it. I baked it yesterday afternoon. Did you try? Is this your first time trying it or what? I did have a little bit of it right out of the oven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good. Kids loved it too. It does. The recipe calls for walnuts, but that's not a popular move with the kids. So I just did it without, without walnuts. It came out really good. I'm just going to take another so, bite. Cause I know people love it when you eat on a podcast. So when people, so when you, little ASMR. Mm-hmm. You know. mm. um, so what, what is the, is there any difference in the, like I looked at the recipe and I'm trying to see if there's anything unique about it. Um, it's a pretty standard banana bread recipe. Hmm. Well, when I do it, I will probably put in chocolate chips. Yes. Sub chocolate chips for walnuts because that's my jam. My mother-in-law does a, ch- a banana chocolate chip muffin that is to die for. And um, yeah, I definitely considered that, but I wanted to kind of keep it true to Roger's original vision, which I'm sure he probably got it off the box or something. <laughs> you know, got it got in a magazine or something. So I'll put the recipe in the show notes if you want to make Roger Glover's banana bread. I posted a picture of it yesterday on instagram i'm sorry on facebook um no i'm sorry again twitter <laughs> one of those dumb time wasting social-, right social media site you know <laughs> we'll just give them a few minutes on friendster i posted this recipe well i posted a picture of it while i was making it and um said you know hey i'm making this can anyone feel 
figure out what the significance is. And then after I posted, I realized, oh, well, a kind of an obvious thing would be the album Bananas. So I thought maybe people would think I'm teasing that we're going to cover the album Bananas. So then I said, oh, it's not the obvious thing you'd probably be thinking of. So we had a few people guess and eventually somebody actually guessed it. Is a, is a Roger Glover's banana bread recipe? It's like, wow, good, good call. I just got some super fans wow. out there. And he was on an episode. I'll post a link to it in an interview where he actually talks about the recipe and makes the banana bread. So the recipe is in partially English and partially metric. It uses deciliters. So I, yeah, that's, I did a little conversion that I, when I sent you the recipe the other day, I think it was yesterday. So I, I did convert mm-hmm. it to cups. So if you're looking to, if you don't know what a deciliter is, cause you're a dumb American, then you can make it too. I don't. And I am. And it's like preheat the oven to 175 degrees Celsius. I was like, well, that's 347 degrees Fahrenheit. Do I want to be really true to the recipe? But I, I did round it up to 350. So hopefully it came out. Okay. Smart. move. And then Jorg writes in to inform us about the Richie's stolen guitar that we talked about in episode 44 on the Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. He says that Richie got the guitar back. Um, so the stolen guitar was returned. Uh, Ian Hansford, a fan who witnessed this, uh, tells the story. He says, during Mandrake Root, Richie would sometimes smash up an old guitar if there was, if, if there was even left would be put back together and used the next time. That night, Richie was in the front of the stage rubbing the guitar up and down during the strobe section. It was in his hands, not around his neck, and the lead came out of the plug jack. Uh, he came running back towards me as I ran towards him with the strobe lights flashing and we crashed into each other. By the time he had picked up his other guitar and I had gone to the front of the stage uh, for the other guitar, it had gone. So this is, I'm sorry, this is Ian Hansford, the... Um, I think the roadie for mm-hmm. uh i think he was a roadie or worked with them he might have been the one that like subbed in for richie in that that uh video that uh tv show that one time because richie wasn't around or something uh we tried to find it at the front of the stage and even in the streets outside but it was gone after that we had a couple of days off and then went to switzerland the lad who had the guitar had taken it home and when his parents and when his parents they got in touch with the hall who then got in touch with the promoter who got in touch with the office and eventually the guitar found its way back to Richie who was then very happy. So a happy ending. So there's the story of Richie's guitar. Still don't know for sure if it's a Strat or not. It's probably in Jerry Bloom's book. Like I mentioned the, uh, in that other episode, but I can't reach it from here. Mm. Um, all right. So I got one, one shout out. If I can. Yes, please. Uh, because I was actually very, very excited about this and, you know, eventually we'll cover it. But um, one of the podcasts that I listened to, which is a KISS podcast, uh, shouted out Loudcast, which yep. uh, the guys are actually from the New England area. They live like a couple of hours away from me. Um, do these uh, bonus episodes where they, you know, uh, get a little uh, get a little uh, diversity in there and um you know they they cover bands that are not kiss and so their last bonus episode was a review of slide it in by white snake mm-hmm. and i believe that i sent that to you yes um so uh it was uh released um let me see is uh, mid-February. It's like, if you listen to it or don't, it's between episodes 58 and 59. They did not number it because it's a bonus episode. It's a non-KISS episode. But um, it was really, 
it was really cool and informative and to hear somebody, because I haven't really, you know, we don't hear much other stuff about Deep Purple or, or White Snake because I don't think there's any White Snake podcast. So, um, you Not know, yet. hearing the guys talk about it and mention some of the stuff, like there was at one point where it was just really weird hearing other people talk about like, at one point they were just like, God, the, 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 all the people been deep purple and white snake and everything. It was just so incestuous, you know, because mm-hmm. they're like, this guy was in this band and he was in this one and this one and everything. And I'm, and I'm like thinking, and I'm driving along going, yeah, that's what we've been saying. Other people <laughs> think that too. So it was like, uh, it was very cool to hear that get out there and um, them uh, kind of reviewing and compare contrasting the U S and UK mixes, which um, I think we, we agree that they're, um, they leaned pretty heavily on the liking the U.S. mix better. Where, whereas I, I, I'm kind of prefer the U.K. Me too. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, I, I would like to, you know, in the future cover that. I know we did a, uh, we discussed maybe a U.S. versus U.K. mix episode or maybe a couple of episodes because that's going to be, that's going to be a lot. Um if we decide to do it. But um, yeah, I would, uh, I would urge anyone to check that out because even if you don't like kiss the, um, the guys are really entertaining to listen to and they have some, uh, some good takes on the songs. And if you like white snake, you know, it's of course one of, one of my favorite um, white snake albums right before they broke big. So yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, before we uh, go on, of course, we have to go to a message from our sponsor. That's right. JC Penny. <laughs> Oh, one of the best um, anchors to any quality mall is JCPenney. And everything I'm wearing right now is JCPenney. I don't shop anywhere else. I don't get my clothing anywhere else. What's a mall? <laughs> I think we talked about that in our last episode. I had I'd just gotten back from my a full day at the mall. Yeah. My the first time in like freaking 20 years, 25 years, maybe. I'll tell you that that JLT ad sounded like something it could have been on one of his albums that was a pretty that was a pretty rocking ad for jc penny was that mark nausey fun production did you do there's a lot of rototoms <laughs> all right um i'm getting a little crackling from your your end can you can you wiggle some micro your microphone cable or something and see if that's hmm you know what? Maybe am I turned up too loud? Maybe? No, no, no. You're you're fine volume wise. Don't touch that. Okay. It might just oh, be. Wait a... Hang on. No, I'm. Okay, I'm doing um, pretty tight. I'm just crossing my fingers it doesn't come out in the final, the final uh, episode. We'll see. All right. So today we are t- we're doing a little bit of a departure from kind of our our normal thing, and we are reviewing. Dream a dream theaters made in Japan. So dream theater, dream theater, dream a dream within a dream. They <laughs> did a version of made in Japan. So dream theater had this kind of thing going, 
and I don't know if they still do it, where if they were playing two nights in a specific venue or in a specific town, what they would do is on the second night, they would cover an entire album. And they've done tons and tons of these albums. Um, If you go to their website, uh, it's called the Official Bootleg Series. You can see all of the different um, albums that they've done. And um, of course, it's got it's so small. It's hard to see here. Um, I'm looking through all this cover series. So they've done uh, they've done Dark Side of the Moon. They've done Master of Puppets. Uh, they've done Number of the Beast. They've done, of course, Made in Japan. Uh, so they've got a lot of these different albums that they've done. And in the liner notes of this, Mike Portnoy, the former drummer, uh, who was a founding member and in there in the band until, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so, um, he says uh, about this album... Uh, of course, the other reason I thought of doing this in particular album is because of the significance of where we were going to be doing the multiple night stand. So they were actually playing this in Tokyo and Osaka where Deep Purple played the the Made in Japan show. So that kind of is what inspired Mike Portnoy to say, hey, let's do Made in Japan. Um He says, often we're asked, why do we do these complete cover albums? I think there are three reasons. First and most selfishly, we have a lot of fun doing it. It breaks up the traditional touring set list for us and gives us a chance to just have some fun playing tributes to the bands and the music we grew up with. The second reason is for you, the fans. Although there are inevitably fans, put to that in quotes, who complain about this tradition, they don't want to sit through another band's music, they didn't like the choice of album, etc. The majority's reaction is that of enjoyment and excitement. And the fact is, we only do this on two night stands and an evening with shows, so the fans are already getting many, many hours of Dream Theater music in addition to the classic album. But the third reason, and one that we did not initially anticipate, is that in doing these albums have often been a great learning experience for us. Studying and playing other artists' writing and performance has really given us the chance to try some different things and get inside these musicians' heads. Every song is loose and spontaneous, and it was a fun challenge to try to capture that vibe. From James's scatty Ian Gillen improv in Strange Kind of Woman, to John's reckless whammy bar Richie Blackmore impersonations, to Jordan's over-the-top solos spot and John Lord tributes in Lazy and Space Truckin', and of course my drum solo in The Mule is not me at all, but my very best Ian Pace solo. To top it all off, it's an absolute honor to have none other than Roger Glover mixing these tapes for us. Of course, in addition to Roger being the bass player and key creative force behind Deep Purple for almost 40 years now, he also happens to be the man who mixed the original Made in Japan. So it's a great honor to have these tapes in the hands of the only man that could have possibly mixed this show for us. So, some pretty great stuff. And then Roger Glover. That's pretty cool. There's hardly a a, a liner notes that Roger Glover doesn't write something in. So he writes in in this one. When I heard Dream Theater had performed Made in Japan in Osaka, the site of our recording 35 years ago, I was somewhat skeptical that they could pull it off since it was a stage performance that included a lot of spontaneity. And how can you plan spontaneity? So when Mike Portnoy contacted me and invited me to mix the recording, I was intrigued enough to agree. I sat in the studio with Peter Denberg, the sound engineer with whom I've worked for many years and was amazed by what I heard. Not only had they captured the essence of performance, but they had injected their own brand of fireworks into the process. It almost goes without saying that they are all top shelf musicians, but I'll say it anyway, because I was thoroughly impressed by their dedication 
and the obvious respect for the original show. They had picked up many of Deep Purple's musical idiosyncrasies and reinvented them for Dream Theater. The energy of their performance is impressive, and I felt honored to be a part of it. I also thank them for tipping their hat to what was, for us in Deep Purple, one of the most important defining moments in our career. Roger Glover, March of 2007. So, that's it. And I have, both of us have not listened to this at all. Kind of a running thing. Last last episode, we didn't either. It's kind of hard to come by. So I found a seller in Russia who sent me the album. Well, after I paid for it. Made it sound like it was a gift. It was not. <laughs> um, so I got a copy of the album. I was really excited and I, I wanted to listen to it right away. And then I said, you know what? It'll be maybe I'll just get my my um, uh, real time reactions, just like we did for Sufficiently Breathless and more or less you too, even though you'd heard it a little bit before. So what do you know about uh, Dream Theater? What are your feeling, feelings on Dream Theater? Um, I mean, I'm kind of. Like, I mean, I know who Dream Theater is. Um, I know that they're like their thing is being just really technically proficient musicians. Um, it's not really the type of music that I listen to, um, even though. I mean, it's in the same wheelhouse, I guess, but um, um, I don't know. What would you define them as like? Are they like power metal? Or speed metal, or what? Some subgenre like that. Some, it's not sort really of, sort of prog rock, but like yeah, a I'm more not, yeah, modern I mean, version. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like um, when you told, like, I'd never heard about this album until you told me about it, and I thought it sounded like a pretty cool idea because you basically have, um, you know, like a new, newer or mod- modern uh, prog rock band uh, with really good musicians covering kind of the, the godfathers of frog rock. Right. Almost. Uh, which is kind of funny that like, you know, I would like deep purple, but not, you know, some of these newer bands, but I mean, that's just kind of how my preferences swing, but I still f- feel like it sounds like a cool idea because, you know, I, I like to hear different takes on that. Um, you know, on, on types of music like that. Like, I think everything you read was really, interesting you know it's just like i i mean if i went to a, a concert like that would be like a two like if i was going two nights in a row i would love to hear like one of my favorite bands be like yeah we're gonna cover this and and that's just really kind of different and special and not everybody does it so i i feel like this is going to be pretty cool i mean it's pretty ballsy to cover um to cover an entire album of any of any album and uh, uh that being said dream theater is probably i think roger glover understated how good they are as musicians <laughs> they're i don't think i've ever heard of anybody covering a live album either so that's right yeah it's it's and i think he, he had toyed toyed with saying and, and he might have gone on to say they thought about doing machine head but then thought well let's <laughs> just do the actual live album it's kind of interesting to do it that way but Dream Theater, like I first got got into them when they released, it must have been 92 when they released Images and Words. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of their big breakout album as far as I was concerned. Um, That song Pull Me Under actually got a fair amount of radio play, uh, even though it was like eight minutes long. But I think um, there must have been a radio edit that they played because it was I used to play on WAAF, which recently just closed down like 
just the other day. It was mm-hmm. in the news. It's they they turned into a Christian rock channel or something. So the heavy metal channel we grew up with in Boston kind of uh, is no more. And um, uh, yeah, pull me under was uh, that's where I first heard it. And I remember right. hearing hearing that uh, song and being really blown away. And I went out and the next time I was at the mall, probably I picked up the album at strawberries or whatever, wherever the heck was selling it and really blew me away just, just because, because of how technical it was and the time changes and everything. And I know it's not for everybody, but it was really, really eye opening to me to just be like, wow, I can't believe music can be this way. You, you'd hear a drum solo and be like, Oh my God, or John Young on bass play some insane thing on this I think he plays a six string, maybe fretless. And uh, wow, like the things that they can technically do are crazy. Um, and I know that's not always the best thing for music is to just everyone to technically show off. But there's also a lot of real creativity in what they do um, and, and how they put their music together. So I, I played that album a ton, listened to that album a ton, uh, but never really got too much into them beyond that. So this I'm 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 a huge fan of Mike Portnoy. I think he's one of the best drummers on the planet just so incredible um and i've i've seen a lot of live stuff by dream theater uh, where i'm just he in particular blows me away how you can be the driving force behind a band like that and keep keep in your head all of the crazy stuff that's going on it's it's not to be understated so yeah i'm interested to hearing out so if if, if you are not familiar with the lineup and this this lineup was, was together for a long time, but John Myung on bass, Mike Portnoy on drums, uh, John Petrucci on guitar, Jordan Rudess on keyboards, and then James Labrie on vocals. Um, so yeah, so the uh, the art for the artwork for the album is interesting because they did kind of they have this little sort of template where they do their official bootleg series and then they put like the little album cover inside of it and for this one they actually recreated the made in japan album cover so you see them all kind of on stage with the classic like gold tannish border to it and that made in japan font and uh yeah it's and they got like a little wax seal on the side it almost looks like a white snake album <laughs> a little white, yeah. little blue wax seal so they do a really nice job with capturing yeah, that it's pretty cool I like it. And then on the back, it's, of course, just listing the track listing, which you're probably familiar with anyway. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I just, I think that that's a really cool thing, you know. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, and, and any band that's going to put that kind of work into it to, like, pay tribute to Deep Purple, um uh, to kind of recreate the album cover, the font, uh, cover all the songs. Um, I mean, that just may, that alone just makes me want to listen to it because you're just like, all right, if they, if these guys are fans enough to like write down to the artwork, like do this kind of right, then, you know, it's, it's gotta be something cool to listen to because, you know, you, you, you know, they, they can't be hacks and be doing this. No, no. And, uh, you know, people accuse Dream Theater of a lot of things, but no one accused them of being hacks. They're they're all absolutely yeah, exactly. the best in class, top of their game musicians. And Mike Portnoy in particular, I think he has a really robust social media presence. I've, I've followed mm-hmm. him for a number of years and always he really impresses me with his attitude and 
his accomplishments and and the amount of humility he has because he'll be talking about these other famous drummers and and things and like people he idolized. He went to go see Kiss recently and he's like, oh my god, I'm seeing Kiss and it's just like amazing to see someone who is a star in their own right be starstruck by by musicians who are you know not technically even at their level and it just shows right. it just shows you a really smart musician is, does not thumb their nose at somebody because it's like uh, you know he loves kiss he loves the beatles he loves deep purple and there's nothing by any of those people that he couldn't play i don't think anyone in kiss or deep purple uh, could play anything that, that dream theater could play without a lot and these are great musicians but i don't think any of them could could get up there and be like, oh, we're going to cover images and words. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, 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 he, he's a great guy. I highly recommend a lot of inspirational stuff in his feed. He's a great guy to follow if you if you love music and this kind of music. So, all right. Yeah, man, that's man, that makes it even better. You know, I love love somebody with humility. I love people that are that are like that. All right, then. And with that, let's kick it off. By getting into the tracks, starting with, of course, Highway Star. And I love that they open it up with the same, the crowds are doing the same kind of clapping as the beginning of Made in Japan. That's awesome. That's cool. Wow. It's <laughs> pretty faithful so far. <laughs> and they haven't even played know, any right? songs yet. How we doing, all right? I wonder what the fans know about it at this point. Like, do they, do they know? Or are they just waiting to find out? Or... Well, they sound like they do. <laughs> Yay! hearing dream theater not playing dream theater <laughs> nice well, so far I really like it that's doing a great job yeah they stay pretty faithful Yeah. <laughs> 
It's got a does a good job capturing that tone. I don't know what kind of equipment yeah. he was using. Oh, you hear some tambourine in there. <laughs> yeah. Jordan Rudess is another great guy to follow on social media. He's so incredible. Nice. He's really capturing this John Lord solo. He's like nailing it. Yeah. Getting all those little little idiosyncrasies that John Lord has when he plays. James that's Lever. cool that they they got John, um, uh, what's his name, Roger Glover in to uh, mix it too because it's um, mixed really well. Yeah. I was going to say, people give James Labrie a lot of crap. He's a really good singer. This is really good. <laughs> yeah, the crowd going crazy. <laughs> if anything, he's playing it too clean because <laughs> he's so he's so used to playing this speed, you know? Yeah, just hearing them jam out like this is just refreshing because they're usually so rigid and tight and it's super impressive, but you're it's. But hearing them just get loose and jam is just even better.
<laughs> nice. That was really good. Yeah, John Petrucci has always been one of my favorite guitar players. I've, even though I, like I said, I didn't follow the band too too much after the '90s. I've always followed him, like his live stuff and his live performances. Some of his solos are just mind blowing. Yeah, I mean that was definitely like um, the solo was definitely true to what Richie did on the album, but it was like it was his own sound, his own tone. Yep. It was re- like it was really clean, but it wasn't bad. It was like it was really great to hear it. Yeah. Like a reinterpretation of that. But I kind of feel like this already. This album is giving me a feeling of like maintaining that feel of like the actual made in Japan. Totally, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really the same cool. energy level. It's And maybe because Roger Glover was involved too, I don't know. I kicked ass. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in the, it's in the performance. Mm, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Should we go song by song on these or should we just let it play out or? Well, it's a pretty long album, like you said. I mean, we could, we could just let it play. All right. Let me, um, give me one second here. Stop the share. I forgot to start up my playlist, so I'll, uh. Start that up now. We can kind of get it back here. All right, here we go. All right, so I'll let it play out. Next up, we got Child in Time. Very interested to see how they're going to handle that. to know what his rig was on this Jordan Rudis usually has just like a I don't know how he plays it he's got like a keyboard and it's kind of like on a swivel mount and it moves around when he's playing it it's, hmm because he'll like play and it'll like swivel and he'll like swing it back like it looks like it would be annoying but clearly he <laughs> likes it that way move for a singer to attempt this song mm-hmm. but James Labrie is used used to getting shit on by his own fans constantly so he's probably like oh, who, who do I really? Deep Purple fans they're just uh, they're always jerks to him they're ridiculing him and giving him a hard time why what for I don't know I just read YouTube comments any comment on a dream theater thing is gonna be people saying James Labrie sucks or whatever and the guy's great but I mean, was he was he not the original singer or something? Is it uh, something like that? Or I mean, I think he's the original singer. I think they only had one album before Images and Words. Let's see. Oh yeah, Charlie Dominici. Hmm. So he, uh, you know, he came in on their second album and has been with them for thirty years since. 
<laughs> he's been the, the singer for 95% of the band's existence, so people are probably like, eh, the new guy. <laughs> if it's not Tar- Charlie Dominici, it's not really Dream Theater. You know how people are. Yeah. People gotta knock that shit off. Oh, they're using the uh, the keyboards. It's kind of what Deep Purple used to do in the later Gillen years when they'd still do this all. That was a pretty good move. I mean, if he didn't want to, uh, didn't think that he could attempt, yeah, like, I don't know what his range is, but if he didn't think he could get that high, they did it right. could get pretty high up there. Kind of cool what they're doing with the keys there. I like it. Well, you know, let's just say for argument's sake that he, you know, had the the keyboards, you know, they put the keyboard in for the vocal parts because he didn't want to attempt it. Maybe he couldn't get that high. I mean, at least he knows his limitations. Yeah, I mean, they did that in Deep Purple when, at a certain point. I don't know what the exact timeline was, but eventually Ian Gillen realized he couldn't quite get there, so John Lord would just do it. But, I mean, I like that when a band can, like, figure out a creative way to kind of keep the spirit of the song without, you know, a vocalist trying to be a hero. Yep. And, you know, kind of like, you know, basically suck at it. I wonder how long it takes Dream Theater to prepare for something like this. <laughs> Actually, it's it's um it's kind of interesting that the the only way that it really like sounds to me like a modern performance is like when the guitar breaks out like that because you can tell it's like like more of a modern rock or metal guitar sound. Well, and he's got. He's actually got a similar setup to Steve Morris. He uses those. I don't know if he was back then, but I think I think he's been using for a while the Music Man, the same Music Man style guitar. I don't know what his mm-hmm. his amplifier setup is, but but he's doing a really good job of like imitating Blackmore with stuff like that. Because he could be shredding 128th notes right now (laughs) over this, (laughs) like with probably very little problem. Yeah, but I mean, you could already tell these guys are smart. Yeah, they're they're staying true to the spirit of the music, and that's why they're doing it. Yeah, they're using their talent. It's pulling back on it where they need to, not not just trying to show off. Yeah, they don't want to be like, here, watch this. There's this great video of John Petrucci that I watch all the time. It's from 2004. He does this guitar solo that's just so blazingly fast. It's, it's insane. And Mike Portnoy is just going crazy on the drums. And he remi- the first time I ever saw it, I was like, he looks like you used to look. Like when you, you had your kind of like really short hair phase. Yeah. Like the first time I ever saw it, I was like, oh, it's, it's Matola. 
<laughs> you, back when John Petrucci, you know, was like really thin and like no beard and like very short, like styled hair. Whereas now, I don't think he'd be confused for you <laughs> with his six foot long beard. <laughs> Nice. The effects trailing off after the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I love the little trill there. Just going through and put my ratings on these as we listen to them. Just for funsies. I wonder if John Lord ever heard this. Or anybody else in Deep Purple for that matter. Well, they must have. That's a good job of capturing Gillen's feeling, too. Mm. But it really does show you how impressive overall the song is, the the original and Gillen singing it when he used to sing it live. Just wow. I mean, as good as it is, the one thing that I can say that they didn't really capture is just like the, the vocal part that the the keyboards take over. He just did that part really great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's... He might have just either realized I'm going to damage my voice or I'm just not quite going to hit it, so let's have the keys do it. Which is cool, but I mean, if it makes you... If it makes you realize anything, it's just how amazing Gillen was like 40 yeah. something odd years ago. Well, so James Labrie at this point was probably twice Gillen's age when Gillen was doing this at Made in Japan. to think of it I don't think I've ever heard a cover of Child in Time no definitely not a common thing to cover I mean aside from like Gillen redoing it right on his first solo album and yeah it would be pretty ambitious for anybody to take on this song 
And there's a lot of singers that can hit notes, so I'm sure he... doing Gillen's rap. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into smoke on the water, I do... As this song closes, I have to read this because I just read this on James Labrie's Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. On December 29th, 1994, while vacationing in Cuba, Labrie was stricken with a severe case of food poisoning from contaminated shrimp. And while vomiting, he ruptured his vocal cords. He thought he saw three throat specialists who all said there was nothing they could do except have him rest his voice. He said he wasn't feeling vocally normal until 2002, and basically this affected his range, and he could no longer hit the same notes after this incident. Jeez. So um, that's what because I mean, pretty impressive what he's doing. Oh, then. of course, he's he's a fantastic singer and still is. But when I was thinking back to what I'm familiar with him, oh, here we go. You gonna mess it up? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Wow. <laughs> Faithful. <laughs> wow, that's I know I've heard him hit high notes before on specifically on images and words, so that explains why he wasn't going for he said basically in this thing he says he can hit some high notes but he has to be really careful but there you go i mean to even continue on with that kind of uh, risk is pretty impressive he says i have to really watch it Really hitting those. But I mean, he's still singing in that style, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not like, he's not like, all right, I'm going to sing like Rod Evans now for the rest of my career. <laughs> you know, all low and down here. So. Oh, good for him. You know, he didn't give up. He says, I have hit F notes here and there, but I really have to watch it. So he. He used to hit high D's, high E's, and F sharps, but now he, this limited to him to a high C or C sharp or D, he says. 
Interesting. But he would have been 40-ish around the time of this recording. 43, maybe. So still about double Gillen's age, too, so. Well, Frank Zappa, I think he he had some issue where he fell and injured his vocal cords, but had the op, well, kind of had a similar problem where he, he uh, it lowered his, you know, Frank Zappa has a really low voice. If you yeah. listen to his early, early stuff, it's not quite as low, but he had some sort of injury to his throat. I think he fell off a stage and somebody kicked him in the neck or something. <laughs> some terrible thing. I remember reading it in his book, so he, he had to have like a lower voice after that. Wow. And I mean, if you think about it too, right? Gillen was like around that same age, like early 40s during the... Um, born again, right, and uh, the the uh, perfect strangers, and he was still belting it out. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm born again was one of his. He was really strong, and during the during the subsequent tour, his vocals were top notch. But I mean, you know, him then, or like even like Glenn Hughes now. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> just just goes to prove that like. You could be you could be any age and do it. Yeah. I think you know a lot of it just probably depends on. I don't know. Like I, I don't. E- I wouldn't even want to say how well you take care of yourself, but I know that's part of it. But maybe just genetics. I don't know. Oh yeah, I'm sort of part of it. Yep. Because I mean, how could you explain like you know Gillen not being able to hit those high notes now, but Glenn Hughes still can? Oh. Like everybody's like you know body is different. Everybody's. You know, everybody's just different. And it sounds funny to say it, but Glenn Hughes, I think, took a lot better care of his voice than Ian Gillen did, even though he didn't take Probably, very good care of himself I mean, for a while. But, yeah. he, you know, he... Yeah. 50, year, 50 years of smoking's effect on the body cannot be understated. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, Glenn Hughes, he did... Uh, Hughes had a, um, I mean, we know he had a drug problem, but did he smoke? No, he never smoked. He said he didn't like smoke. Hmm. It says here that Deep Purple stopped. Said they, in their reunion tour, 85 through 88, they would play the song Child in Time. But it wasn't really regularly featured at concerts after 1995. So that's really, they went as far into 95. Yeah, so he would have been in his mid 50s then. Or? Oh yeah, definitely. Or early 50s, I should say. Wow. Now, I know Jordan Rudess wasn't lugging around a Hammond for these shows, so I, I wonder what his really want to know what he was using because it sounds really good.
Wow. Really good. Oh, that was a really good, a really good Richie impression. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. Nice. Damn. Man, that, that was, was um that that was that's worth uh that's worth a high rating right there just for nailing that Richie yeah. card right there. Like that's that's that could have been Richie. Yeah, like he, he had all those little nuances down. I mean, he's obviously John Petrucci's no slouch. I mean, that's basically like, you know, Richie's like Mark One kind of feel playing. Yeah. Like, that couldn't have been easy to replicate. No. I'm interested to hear how Portnoy imitating pace is going to sound. And if you remember from your early episodes of the show, this is not my favorite Deep Purple song. But I do like the Made in yes. Japan version because it's it doesn't go on forever. Despite have being eight minutes and having a drum solo, <laughs> this part does not like linger on and on and on for me. It doesn't sound like he's really replicating like kind of like note for note, like the way the pace did it. Yeah. No one sees the things you do. I feel like he's doing his own take on yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little, a little bit. it's got a little different feel to it. Kind of nice, kind of nice to hear it a little bit different. doing a really good job of feeling if paces feel the way he works a snare I kind of like how they changed up like the the verse of the song or everything it gave it kind of a different feel I kind of liked it little bit about has nothing to do with Zappa but yeah just in uh, 
and nothing to do with purple, but Zappa was pushed off stage by a disgruntled fan at the, at the London's Rainbow Theater and got many different injuries. And Who's this? Uh, this was Zappa. So, oh, okay. On December 10th, 1971, a fan pushed him off the stage in London. He got multiple injuries, ended up in a wheelchair. Only six days. Uh, wait. This was six days after the Montreux Casino burned down. <laughs> so it's a bad mm-hmm. month for Zappa. Jeez. <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, not really being a drummer or knowing anything about drums. Like, I have no idea if this is faithful to the original or not. Or how faithful it is to the original. I'm also not a drummer, but I can kind of pick up on some of the stuff he's doing, like... think he's doing a really good job so the vicious attack on Zappa forced the band to cancel the remaining dates of the tour leaving Zappa wheelchair bound for nearly a year though he would eventually recover from his injuries he did suffer chronic back pain throughout his life and many fans suspect Zappa's crushed larynx was the result, the ultimate reason for his switch to a deeper, huskier vocal delivery. His next two studio albums, Waka Jawaka and The Grand Wazoo, were full of rich, layered jazz fusion instrumentals because he basically hmm. couldn't get it back to sing. He had a gash in his chin, a hole in the back of his head, a broken rib, and a fractured leg. And one arm was Jesus. paralyzed. I'm glad he made it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> He's going crazy now. <laughs> this probably would have been around where we kind of skipped on our Made in Japan Deep Purple episode. The only question is, can we take three more minutes of this? <laughs> I mean, it's it's awesome. I like really getting the visual with watching it, with hearing a drum solo, though. Like seeing Pace's drum solo on California Jam or the Denmark concert mm-hmm. is really. Uh, maybe it's because just of a lack of understanding, really, of the instrument as much. Seeing what they're doing is a little more interesting. No, I agree. But I maybe th- I think I think that's some of the reason I maybe didn't buy as many Dream Theater albums, but I used to always watch their videos and I still do regularly watch their videos on YouTube and stuff because seeing listening to them I, I they're all way too good musicians for me to even understand what they're doing and seeing it just cements the fact that I have no idea what they're doing. And just seeing how fast John Petrucci can move his fingers, it's crazy. Mm. Forgot about this part. 
That double bass going. Funny, he does have that that John Petrucci effect on his guitar, that little delay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Man, that's good. I wonder if they still do these bootleg shows. All right, I'm drunk. That was... That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was excellent. It really kept. You know, I really like this. Like, you know, we're hearing all this stuff, this great musicianship and everything, but it doesn't sound like any of these guys are trying to like show up or outdo the originals. Like, you know, you don't think that, you know, Petrucci's playing a solo, being like, "Look, I can do Richie better than Richie." Right. He's not doing like ridiculous finger tapping and sweep arpeggios just because he can. Right. And he can. Oh, man. Like, I like the fact that they're kind of like injecting a little bit of themselves into it, but they're like, they're basically like, we're paying tribute to our favorite musicians, but you can just tell by virtue of how good musicians they are that like, I don't know, some of the songs, like the, the last version of The Mule, I actually really liked it a, a lot. Like, more than the original The Mule. Probably because it's a fresh take on it that I've never heard before, because who covers The Mule? <laughs> Good <laughs> you know, point. Like, no one. The Purple doesn't even do it. When's the last time they did it? Oh, you know what? I'd be interested to see how they do the little uh, vocal guitar duel in this. Oh, yeah. I wonder what they do with that. Well, I think we're about to find out. Mm. Beautiful. Really just getting that Ian Pace 
swing of things. You know, there are certain areas too where you do like you can hear the the uh, the bass really grooving in there. That's nothing to blow your nose at. Like we've really talked about the bass, but he's he's you know hit some uh, some really grooving uh, grooving pockets there. I can just see John Myung playing this on his big six string bass. You know he's not using <laughs> a pick, even if they're trying to be faithful. I'm sure he's not. He didn't bust out a pick for this one. Oh, maybe he did. Look at that picture of him. I don't know. Is there a video for this show? Um, not that I'm aware of. That would be something. Because I was going to say, I feel like this is something that probably would have benefited from a, like a video. Like, I would love to see like a video of this performance. If one exists. <sighs> I bet it doesn't. That's, that's too bad. This well, is... I mean, you said that they do a lot of these, so I mean, it makes sense. They probably wouldn't have filmed all of them. And it's a difficult one to even find. I mean, I had to, I didn't get it from Russia just because I wanted a cheap used copy. In fact, it was a brand new copy, but uh, I I couldn't find it at, throughout any of the other. Uh, I think it was said sold out on their website. I don't think it was on Amazon. Mm hmm. Oh, this. Oh, no. There's one available on Amazon for $100. These are like collector's what items. A what, a video? No, uh, the CD. Oh, just CD? Yeah. The cheapest one I can find is their cover of uh, Number of the Beast for 30 bucks used on Amazon. So, yeah, I, I got lucky because I found it on eBay for... Not too much, 10, 12 bucks or something. Just had to wait for about three months to get it from Russia. <laughs> I think that's pretty, that's pretty neat. When you like, that's what kind of endears a band like this to me that I've never really been into is the fact that like, you know, you hear that they, they cover an album like this, uh, Number of the Beast. Uh, I'm sure that there are plenty of others, but you look at that and you're just like, wow, they're, they're doing some cool you know, they're covering some cool albums that, that I like. So not only do you get to hear new versions of them, but you kind of like, you kind of fanboy over them a little bit. Like, wow, they like the same stuff I like. Yeah. I really want to hear their other stuff. I'd love to hear Dark Side of the Moon and Master of Puppets. Oh, they do Master of Puppets? Yeah. Jeez. Now, do they do them all live? You said they do all these Yeah, they're live? all done basically. If they have two shows in the same venue, they'll make yeah. the second night be one of these. And they also have official bootlegs of their own recordings too, or their own their own shows that aren't covers. So it's kind of cool. I like a band that will really get stuff out there. You're not going to sell a million copies, but getting that stuff out there for your fans is is awesome. That's a way to do it. Oh, here we go. We're going to find out the answer to your question. Listen to that, the drum sound and the clapping. Yeah. Sounds the same. So cool. Yeah. 
Great. <laughs> what do you say? It's an ear exercise. <laughs> like, who does this? This is so good. Switching, flipping the tables on them. Was a pretty great recreation. You do of have that to, moment. You do have to kind of feel bad for some of the. You know, there's some fans there that just there's like that one guy that just hates Deep Purple. He's like, ah, damn it! <laughs> 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 I wanted to see Deep Dream Theater for two nights. Oh man. Well, you know what? Screw that guy. <laughs> wow. Nice, he went for it. Yeah, that was awesome. I'm sure there's a pretty big overlap of deep of uh, Dream Theater fans that like Deep Purple, but there's got to be that one guy. <laughs> oh, there's got to be. <laughs> Damn it. We just ruined Carl's day. I got, I got one friend like that. He's just like, oh, you like Deep Purple? And I'm just like, all right, don't stop talking. But does that friend know anything other than smoke on the water? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Does that friend know that you host a Deep Purple podcast? Yeah, he still makes fun of me. <laughs> 
I was at a par- I was at a, it's a friend's birthday party this weekend, and they introduced me to their neighbor, and they, the neighbor was talking to me, and he like does music and has a little setup in his basement, and I, I, I told him, yeah, I use it for that, and I do some other like recording. He's like, Are you the guy that does the Deep Purple podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I was like, Yeah, that's me. Oh, I forgot about this. Mm-hmm. The John Lord 2001 Space Odyssey <laughs> keyboard. A201. <laughs> well, I don't want to call it too early. I don't think there's much that they could do to ruin it at this point, but I am, I am, uh, my, my, my expectations have been far exceeded so far with this. Yeah, me too. I mean, I went in thinking that it was going to be good. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> dream theater phoning it in. <laughs> Just like or, botching or all like... the songs, blowing it. If anything, I was worried it was going to sound too much like dream theater, which is not the end of the world. Cause if they put their own spin on it, that's fine. But I think either way, if they had if they had made it a little more dream theatery, it still would have been great. But the fact that they stayed so true to the original is also really impressive. Well, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that my concern was ever you know if they like that they'd phone it in is is just that maybe I wouldn't like their style or rendition of the songs. Um, you know, like I'd be like, oh, technically they're good, but you know, boring, you know, or anything like that. I mean. So far, they've done a pretty good mix of like being really faithful to the spirit of the material and kind of injecting themselves in there without being too showy. Yeah. That's what I think. Totally. This would be very easy for them to be showy. And even even in their normal concerts, though, they're not like showy for the case of being showy. They are. It's everything is very composed and like makes sense. You might think it's too out there for you and I can completely understand that but they're they're not like people that are just doing stuff just to show off which I can understand how it could come across that way but they're they're just very deliberate in what they do yeah but I mean that's a difference between why you know of a band like this and why they have been successful as opposed to a lot of those like guitar wankers out there (laughs) that like you know can like you know oh I can play a million notes in like one bar but they like can't write a song for shit and nobody knows that the only reason people know who they are is because they're notoriously bad or like, you know, too over the top. I mean, how many times have we said that? This is just like, yeah, there are plenty of talented people out there, but if it goes nowhere, then like, who really cares? Of course. Yeah. You know, and talent isn't always measured by like how much you can show off. And like, if you can play the guitar behind your head, you know, with your eyes closed and the lights off and, you know, still nail it. It's just, you know, can you put out something of value that people enjoy? And like, you know, this is a great example of them just showing their their roots and their respect for this music, which is like really swings and is like, you know, I'm imagine that this stuff is not like what Dream Theater does at all. So here's one of the videos I watch a lot. Dream Theater Stream of Consciousness, John Petrucci solo with epic speed and technicality. You got to check this out. At the 320 mark, Somebody slowed it down and figured it out. He reaches nearly 19.3 notes per second in a very technical tapping phrase, followed by a mind-bending 38.6 notes per second, four-note sweeping phrase, and he does it twice. 
Jesus. 38.6 notes per second. But my favorite part of that solo, he does look a little melodic thing right after that that's really simple, and I'm like... To me, that's my favorite part. See, to me, that, that kind of stuff is like... It's impressive as like a statistic. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it doesn't like... It doesn't impress me any other way. Um, and that's not to say that, like, you know, a musician like him doesn't deserve, like, you know, the praise that he gets for being able to do that or, you know, all the great stuff he did. It's just to me, it's just not very interesting. Well, it's I think in because it's almost like weightlifters. It's like, look how much I can bench. You know, <laughs> it's like it's kind of like that kind of bravado doesn't interest me. I think having the, the level of knowledge and technicality to be able to do something like that makes you be able to nail something like this. Yeah. It's like yeah. having an author with an incredible vocabulary. They're not going to just be throwing in all these 10 syllable words every line, but being knowing as much about writing and as much and as as many words as you do makes you select the proper words for the proper situations. Exactly. And, yeah, like I think like having that much knowledge, um, that much know-how, being able to, you know, physically do all of that makes you a better musician. Uh, so, no, so you don't, like you said, you don't have to use all of it. All the time. But it's nice to know it. I think it's interesting you see like certain, and I know nothing about art, so I'm going to sound like an idiot, but... Well, I've been doing this ep- this show for almost 50 episodes, so I'm used to sounding like an idiot. So, <laughs> like, when you see, like, an artist, like, who... I can't think of who. Like, someone who's got a very abstract style. And sometimes you'll see some of their older work. Like, here's something they did when, they, you know, in their 20s. And it's, like, this beautiful still life that's perfect. Like, perfectly photographed quality. It looks amazing painting. But they're more known for, like you know, splattering a canvas or, or just doing really abstract looking things. Yeah. I know what you mean. You had to go, you have to get through that stage to to know, to know all of the rules before you can start breaking them and making sense with them. Mm hmm. Oh, he's doing the harmonica on the keyboard. <laughs> That's great. It kind of sounds like a harmonica, too. It sounds like that. Is it on Cher Kazoo? I think it's a Cher Kazoo song where they have that, like, funny sounding little. I think it might be a harmonica, but it sounds like very fake sounding. It's kind of what it reminds me of. I guess James Labrie does not play the harmonica. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, I was wondering what was going to happen. <laughs> oh, he's going for it here. Yeah, I think um, in light of what you said about his vocals, like I think he's just kind of picking his spots uh, where he can like hit those notes and just kind of doing them sparingly.
really makes you wonder how long they had to prepare for this. Or are they just such like... They were like, they just looked at each other and said, you want to do the Made in Japan album? Okay, no rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been... My, no, wife, they, my they... wife was playing something on YouTube the other day. It was like Bruce Springsteen. Uh, who I'm, I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan. I never really got the whole thing, but it was a really interesting like live show where basically somebody in the audience said a song and he just they basically the band just figures it out on stage. It's really it was really fun and interesting to watch. I guess it's something he does commonly live. So they'll say this, it's either a song they haven't played in 30 years or a song that they know and they just all kind of figure it out. And by the end, they're playing the song and you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Get enough like really good musicians around, they'll figure it out. <laughs> and if they grew up on this album and listen to this album as much as as much as we did, then they'll they'll know all the little ins and outs of it. Oh yeah. faded out that keyboard nicely. You can hear a pin drop. What's going on? impressive hearing Petrucci's uh, mimicking abilities. Now I yeah. want to hear how he mimics Gilmore and Kirk Hammett and stuff with those other albums. the show <laughs> wow wow <laughs> that's crazy wow yeah 
you know, that's all the shit that Richie ad-libbed. Yeah, yeah, and they they make it sound like they create came up with it. Like it was, it sounded just as spontaneous when they did it. And like you know, thirty something odd years later, you know, you have somebody that's like learning all that improv. Crazy. I'm like laying it down and making it sound like they improved it. There's all Nuts. these little pieces of this of this album that I forget about until I hear them do it. And I go, oh, my God, they threw that in there. They remembered. Yeah, they're not like they didn't come to screw around with this. They they <laughs> they Mm-mm. they did every they got it beat for beat. It's amazing. Nice. I'm tempted to like rank this higher than Made in Japan just f- for how, you know what I mean? Like I want to give these songs like fives because it's like, wow, I can't believe how well they captured that. But it just seem doesn't seem fair. To- <laughs> I know. And we rated it higher than the original Made in Japan. I just don't want to. Yeah, I can't imagine the backlash we get for that. But um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it takes a lot to do what they're doing. It's just. Like I said, I was not expecting this to be disappointing, but I wasn't expecting it to be quite this good. Here we are. I mean, it's really... Yeah, the closer, space trucking. Just a really interesting listen, you know? A really fun, you know? Makes makes you, like, just reappreciate the original album, too. Totally. I just want to kind of, like, go right back to that now after this. So from this bootleg series, I'm only finding four albums they actually did. Hmm. Which is a shame. I'd love to hear more. I think that Oregon town tone sounds great. interesting to see how they handle the <laughs> 18 minutes of instrumental craziness at the end of this Jesus <laughs> when, they, when they get into the instrumental you could probably start doing like deep purple news the outro like <laughs> yeah I was actually thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> you can wrap up the episode before the album's over <laughs> 
Unfortunately, I don't have that much news. I probably should have um, <clears throat> done all that stuff in the beginning. Hmm. <laughs> Nice. Probably discuss our ratings during the, uh, during this extensive instrumental. Love hearing Petrucci play like this. Yeah, it's really, really good. John Myung is like, give me, give me a chance to let loose. They could have ended it right there. <laughs> and so could Deep Purple have. But oh no. They're going to go for it. What would you say are your rankings for the songs? I mean, I put them in, so... I was trying I mean, to cre- I was trying to create tension. <laughs> I mean, I didn't put him in. Um, I mean, I pretty much gave everything a four for my ratings, um, which it's I guess it's hard to be objective because, you know, we're like you said, we're we're kind of rating them based on like, you know, how good it is, you know, uh, to the original, but I'm trying to think of it in like, like just how I'm enjoying it. And I mean, if I'm enjoying it because it makes me think of the original or because they've added a few new things, like, I mean, like I like the mule because it was not quite like the original. Yeah. 
But yeah, everything I gave except uh, Strange Kind of Woman, I gave 4.5. Uh, a little extra I, because yeah. of the creativity in the uh, the vocal area. I, I but, toyed with giving Lazy a 4.52 because of that little... <laughs> he really nailed that. But I'm like, I'm also just torn because like I don't want to give the Dream Theater version of Made in Japan a higher rating than the original Made in Japan. That seems insane. But at the same time, I, I, you have to look at it through a different lens. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh... I mean, it probably will wind up getting a higher rating, but I mean, it's it's kind of on a different it's on a different level. Right. It doesn't mean it's necessarily better, but it is right. for what it is for the piece of performance art that it is. It's very, very impressive that they're able to hit all of these major notes so well. And they're even just listening to this in the background. They're kind of nailing the space trucking thing, too, which is extremely freeform on the Made in Japan album. They're, they're, they've captured from start to finish the feel of this album. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess that Roger Glover being involved has a lot to do with it. I'm sure it doesn't. It doesn't hurt for sure. But like, but just I, listening I mean, sure, to the performances. Oh, yeah. You can't deny the performances and that, you know, if they I don't know if they sucked or if they, <laughs> they didn't have the right tone or if they did something wildly different with the songs, you know, it wouldn't have, um, you know, come out that good. But I think it's like a mix of all that, plus having Roger Glover involved, plus looking at the the image of like this throwback album cover while we're listening to it. Yeah. You know, kind of all contributes to just like that really kind of nostalgic, like faithful to the original, you know, uh, feel. What a treat for the people who must have been there at that concert. Except for that one guy. <laughs> Freaking Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, where's your sense of wonder? I can totally understand. Like if. If you put me if, if I went to see Deep Purple, I was like, oh, I'm going to see Deep Purple for two nights. I go see him on the first night. It's a kick ass show. I'm like, yes, I'm going to see him again tomorrow. I go tomorrow. And like tonight we're going to be covering U2's The Joshua Tree. I'm like, ah, oh! <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Uh, I'd be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I would be Carl that night. Oh, uh. When you do a search for Made in Japan, I was looking for this other album cover. Mm-hmm. When we were doing our deep, our Made in Japan episode, there was this one album cover. I was looking for a good version of the album cover. And there was this one that came up that was done with Lego that if you didn't look closely, you didn't even realize it wasn't the original. I almost used it on the show. Um, so I was trying to see if I could find that. But there's a lot of other people doing Made in Japan kind of, kind of ripoffs, if you will. That's that's really unexpected, huh? I've got Carnival Soul, Carnival of Souls, the final sessions made in Japan. A Carnival of Souls is Kiss. I know, that's what it is. It says Carnival of Souls, the final sessions made in Japan. I don't get that. I don't know. Well, if you don't get it, I don't know who will. Uh oh, the CD is made in Japan. 
Yeah. And then there's um, okay. Iron Maiden made in Japan. There's another band. Uh, where is it? The the Nomads made in Japan, which is all of them have the same kind of like stealing that kind of feeling of the album cover. Mm-hmm. Deep Forest made in Japan. That takes extra an extra bold move to have deep in your band name and have an album called Made in Japan. But this band has a, an accordion player. <laughs> Something Deep Purple cannot boast. And then, of course, there's White Snake Made in Japan. The Peacocks Made in Japan. A lot of Made in Japan albums. I think Deep Purple mm. has to have been the first. I'm just still endlessly blown away because like Jordan Rudess is not somebody who when I listen to him play and he's on Instagram multiple times a day playing crazy piano. I love listening to his stuff because he's just so technically brilliant. Um... But I don't ever when I'm listening to his stuff, I don't ever think, oh, he sounds like John Lord. Mm -hmm. But here he is doing a great John Lord impression. Ah, the great cat. I don't know why it's called Made in Japan, but the great cat just came up. Remember the great cat? Yeah, Yeah, I do. Beethoven on speed. Yep. I remember the big thing about that is, is like the great cat is better than blah, 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 which I think you guys are just trying to piss me off. <laughs> me, me and Paul. <laughs> yeah. For, well, I uh, well, I don't think it was that you guys were trying to convince me that the great cat was better than somebody. You were just telling me, like, technically speaking, like, the oh. great, like I'd be like, is the great cat better than Tony Iommi? You know, and you're just like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, she, totally. like, she blows him. She blows him the fuck away. And I was just like. No, she doesn't. You know, it was like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know the the difference between like being iconic and just being technically skilled. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, so it's like, is she technically more proficient than Tony Iommi? Yes. But does everyone know her riffs and is she a riff legend? No. Exactly. But I remember she had this. I think what you guys were trying to put forth and I wasn't buying it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when that was a crazy album, her album uh, Beethoven on Speed she also Worship Me yeah. or Die and she starts she, and she starts off the album she goes are you ready to be abused by the great cat ah <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she was just insane and I, for, <coughs> my friend Chris who uh, you know I did the studio with and we were in bands together and he, who has uh, lent us a lot of technical support for the show and always is my go-to guy whenever I've got a technical question about recording I just always text him like hey how do I do this but uh he had years ago when we were playing together he had taken that sound bite well he he at first he he's like Nate say your name your full name really slow and boring I was like okay so I said it and then he like took the recording and comes back and he's got this thing that goes are you ready to be Nathan Beaudry. 
and we still have the recording so, somewhere. And he would just, I forgot what he used it for, but he was always doing stuff mm. like that. That's great. <laughs> she was great because her whole shtick was just insane. But she, I think she went to like Juilliard or something as like a violin player and mm -hmm. like started getting interested in like playing guitar. And like, if you ever watched her play, like her fingers, like she could like, she could cover like half the fretboard by stretching her fingers. She was, she had an, just like this crazy, like the way she played, it looked like she was playing a violin, but she was really, really talented. But again, kind of like, do you want to sit down and listen to the great cat or do you want to listen to Tony Iommi riffs? Or do you want to listen to Michelangelo, <laughs> Michelangelo Batio? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I, when your whole I gimmick admit, requires he, that you have to actually see it, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, you know, I, I have to admit that there are some of his videos that are like, I find like pretty, pretty cool. But I mean, like, you know, most of them, like a larger percentage of them are just like garbage. Well, it's it's impressive to watch. It's impressive that anyone could play ambidextrous like that. But as a gimmick that runs that wears thin pretty quick. And his whole gimmick is visual. I mean, like, would you... I mean, I know he has recordings out, but is anybody listening to his recordings or is it just, like, watch his videos? Yeah, I mean, I tried to listen to one of his albums. Um, it was just impossible. <laughs> impossible? It was, <laughs> it was not possible. <laughs> it was not possible. It's just, it wasn't interesting. No, it I mean, that's the thing about it. It wasn't well it. produced. He's another one of these, like, um, you know, really technical guitar players that just, like you know dicks around with like playing really fast and has drum machines and doesn't really know how to write interesting songs and you know it's it's just not that good well right if if, if you wouldn't listen to it visually or, or audio it, it relies on seeing like oh I'm playing right handed now I'm playing left handed like again very impressive but I mean even like in the like the guitar um videos like the guitar instructional videos that he's put out or just the videos of him playing it's just like it, it, you know it's it, you can get fatigue from it it's like okay if i'm in the mood i'll watch these for a little while but then it's like it gets old really fast oh yeah because there's no hook you know there's nothing to really kind of bring you in and make you interested I would just like to state that the Great Cats website looks like it hasn't been updated since 1996. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's basically it's all on one page. It basically scrolls all the way down to China. Was it powered by Angel Fire? Uh, might as well be. No, it's GreatCat.com. This website is not. <laughs> I have a I have a friend that emailed me recently. This is the same friend I was telling you about who doesn't like Deep Purple, and his email address was at AOL.com, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm like, oh dude, no. We have to change that. Oh my god, this 
She's got a Spotify link on her website, though. So she's updating this ancient website. (laughs) (laughs) This ancient website. Uh, I gotta... Hmm. Well, all I have to say about this album is bravo. That was extremely well done. I'm with the audience here. Despite the fact that we had to talk about the great cat for a while during the the final song well, is just that was that was that I was listening far oh yeah yeah me too it far exceeded any expectations I might have had about it just unbelievably well done. That being said, I have to show you this great cat website. So look at this thing. All right, Are you see oh it? Oh my god, this looks like. This looks like every website so, from. But look the at my scroll. 90s. Look at my scroll bar on the right, and how much farther we have to scroll down. Jesus. <laughs> Beethoven Mosh too. But look at that Spotify. She's got a Spotify link, an Amazon link, Deezer. I don't even know what that is. Pandora, title, title. So this has like been updated recently. Because titles. Maybe not that's part of her stick. Look at all these, all these like links on the left hand side here. Just scroll and scroll and scroll. There's so much more to scroll wow, through. This is like, like it's, going it's, to web going to web pages like this just brings you back in time. It's like going to like a like a, a history museum of the internet. So she hasn't changed her stick too much. She's got the the Jackson flying V. She's very scantily clad, and God, she's in her fifties, so good for her. Um, I don't know how old these pictures are, but there's like a picture of Mozart with hearts and then it just says German apple strudel <laughs> picture of apple strudel chef. Great yeah. cat bakes German apple strudel with Mozart and you scroll and scroll and scroll and just never ends. My God. I, I'm like, but there she is. Playing, like, look, I'm not even a, like I'm a, not even a quarter of the way through this page. I've been scrolling forever. This page is like unviewable. Like, oh I yeah, you can't. Like, what are you supposed Get to do all this? You can't look at this. <laughs> well, I mean, I can look at it and I feel like I'm 20 years old again. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, just look at, look at, this is what the web, this is what the, for those, if you're watching this and you're, you're like in your early twenties, this is what every web page looked like 20 like years ago. 90s. Yeah. Oh my God. Like every web, like if you were looking like at this 20, ni- 20 years ago, you'd just be like, yeah, if you, if this was 1998 and you stumbled on this website, you'd be like, oh, this is a perfectly respectable website. This is what websites are supposed to look like. Um, oh but yeah, it just goes on and on. Isn't that kind of like uh, the this same is- thing? Like is a, the last website that I saw similar to that was the, the new deep purple uh, website. Yeah. Yeah. The, the informational website about it was kind of like that. It was like that in that it scrolled forever, but it was a little bit more organized than this one. <laughs> Holy cow. Look at who in God's name would even <laughs> like check out all these links. They're like, like my eyes hurt just from looking at it. Oh my I mean, God. I don't know if I'm even exaggerating, but there's got to be 500 links on this page. <laughs> I, and I really, I mean, look at all, every single one of these pictures is a link. I, I bet 500 is, is doesn't even you're cover being, it. You're being you're being modest. There might be a thousand links on this page. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. It just oh my keep, god! Look at this. It keeps going. This is 
it just keeps going and going and going. Look at this. Okay, I just finally hit the end. I've been scrolling the entire time I've been scrolling. We just hit the end. So, and I like at the bottom, there's a link to greatcat.com, which is the site that we're on. <laughs> does it say, does it say geocities.com anywhere in here? Yeah, like- great. No, just greatcat.com. <laughs> And you can click, you can click here to get to the homepage. I'm like, homepage, there's no other pages. It's all on this one page. Unbelievable. Anyway, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I found that, uh, I found that I had to share that when I, when I saw that page. Holy crap. Good. Jumping Jesus. Holy good God. That is... That was a that was a nice uh, trip down um, Amnesia Lane there. My dad always says "Jumping Jesus." <laughs> it's, a, it's a great it's, it's a great one. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, well, I am officially your dad, I guess. I'm <laughs> officially an old man now, which is uh, the nicest thing that I could have been called uh, recently since my birthday. <laughs> what, my dad? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've been called like very vulgar things. Oh recently. yes, the old bastard and all that sort of Just stuff. Just the word like you know, old, and then like a bunch of expletives in there, you know. And <laughs> thanks, guys. It's all my friends, all my best friends too, including you. You know, which, yeah, um, I, I was guilty too. I apologize. Well, now wait a minute. Now I have. Um, let me see if I have it over here somewhere from uh, our our buddies from Pot of Thunder, and uh, sent me. Um, so you sent me this uh this wonderful gift of the uh the pot of thunder knit cap. I did. And um the the little card in it says, Happy belated birthday, you old coot. And then a handwritten message, uh, I believe from Andy that says, Nathan must be a great friend. Happy birthday. <laughs> Which everybody knows that the the worse the insult is, the better the friend. That that is very true. That is very true, (laughs) you old bastard. Uh, Um, (laughs) Again, not the worst thing I've been called. This is true. I don't know if I could repeat it here. We might get banned from all platforms. (laughs) Um, No, YouTube doesn't care about that. They just don't want you to put up any music that already is up there. Um, Okay, so in the news this week, we're running late, so we got to wrap this up. Trinkle Bonker, our old friend Michael Erickson, posted uh, a blog entry, Whoosh is the title, because as we know, Whoosh is the name of the new album. And it says, producer Bob Ezrin is said to feature only, it's said about the album to feature only seven new songs, all of them quite lengthy. In fact, you need to go back to Machine Head and who do we think we are to find that kind of format. And the track listing goes as follows. Throw my bones. No need to shout. Nothing at all. The long way round. What the what? Man alive and the power of the moon. So and it seems like the there's like a a overlying theme about climate change through the album. So interesting. Uh. Yorg was, when I brought this up on Twitter the other day, Yorg was quick to point out, ah, they've heard seven songs. That doesn't mean there is only seven songs, but I would be very happy to actually see them return to that format because albums Mm. these days with 14, 15 songs, it's just, a lot of the times it's too much. They fill the entire CD just to fill it, but it would be great to have, you know, go back to a format similar to in rock or Machine Head and, or all of those early albums where there are only four, seven tracks and, and hear them. Uh, you know, not not have to pack it with 12 or 15 songs. And I mean, honestly, I mean, it's just like if you look at bands 
um, like uh, from Deep Purple's era, I mean, you're, you're not seeing a lot of them releasing new music the way these guys are or have been over the, the past years. Like nobody does it anymore because I think a lot of them are just like, well, what's the point? Or they just, they rely on being legacy acts. Yeah. You know, and these guys, like, even if, even if there's seven new songs, it's still seven new songs from these guys that have nothing left to prove. Yeah, totally. You know, and they still just love doing it and they're still being creative. And I mean, that's not something you see every day, which is another reason we love these guys. Exactly. And I mean, look, I mean, even the, even the extended family is doing it. Coverdale and White Snake had a new album. Glenn Hughes is recording new music. Yep. And, and they're still like leaning on their old catalog, but they're not like relying on it. They're still out there doing new stuff. And that's really cool. Absolutely. All right. In the uh, history this week, the week this comes out, March 16th through March 22nd. Uh, very fitting for a recent episode that we just did. But the uh, official first official release of the Green Bullfrog came out March 19th, 1971. Our friend, the little fat bullfrog there, ignoring looks like the, he, the fly. Looks like he had a, yeah, maybe because he's full from uh, Zeppelin's from St. Joseph's Day. <laughs> which is March 19th. Oh, okay. I, was, I didn't get the, you're, you win the Italian off today. You're more Italian than me. <laughs> I'm always more Italian Well, that than is you. true. I, I'm only half Italian, so, you know, uh, you, you win the, the prize for that one. The Italian off. <laughs> Um, On March 18th, 1995, Steve Morse plays his first official gig in Seoul, Korea. And as we know, he played like a few little what they were called secret shows in in Mexico as they kind of took him on a little test run. And obviously he passed the audition and uh, his first official show was live in Seoul. So you see a, a young and a younger and sprightly Gillen, Lord Pace Glover and Morse there. Um, and that little must, what must be a backstage pass. I can't read Korean, so I'm going to assume that that's what that is. My Korean <laughs> is a little rusty. Um, as in rusty, as in I never knew it. As in never existed. And then <laughs> going backwards one day, once again, March 17th, 2002, the Mark 10 lineup plays its first gig. So Don Airy plays his first full gig with the band in St. Petersburg, Russia. And this is available as a bootleg on DVD. I would love to check that out. I've never seen it, actually. Uh, very good set list. Woman from Tokyo, Ted the Mechanic, Mary Long. Hello. Lazy, Whoa. Child in Time, The Aviator, No One Came, Well-Dressed Guitar, Fools, recommended by Scott Haskin, I might add. Wow. Keyboard Solo, Perfect Strangers, When a Blind Man Cries, A Parade, Smoke on the Water, Speed King, Hush, and Highway Star. That is a packed gig and some really great songs there and i've uh i i've seen a video you know what maybe it it might be from this show because i have seen a video of them performing mary long with steve morse and john lloyd's a great video it might be taken from this performance so Mm. really cool and then i think i've got another little graphic this is another uh dvd these are bootlegs so that's why they're kind of weird but anyway that's the history angle. And like I said, we're running pretty long in today's episode. I hope you got as much out of it as we did. And God, go check this album out. Go pick it up. Find someone in Russia who will sell this to you on eBay. 
Um, get the last remaining copy on Amazon, whatever you got to do. This is a great one to hold, to, to have a great collector's item for your collection. Uh, for yeah, sure. my, my CD pile up there is getting a little out of hand actually. Um, as I keep getting these little, luckily you can just find so many great resources to get these things fairly inexpensively. Um, but yeah, just pick this, pick this one up. It's, uh, I think you'll understand if you've listened to this, that it's, uh, definitely something to have in your collection. If you're a deep purple fan, really impressive what they did with this. All right. Well, until next week, my friend, we'll, we will dive into yet another offshoot of the deep purple family tree. Oh, I can't wait. All right, my friend. All right. Right. It's been it's been real, it's been fun, it's been real fun. All right, later. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. It looks like he's bringing old one eye to the optometrist. <laughs>